Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share Home Threads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to HomeThreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. HomeThreads, love where you live. That's HomeThreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. The more you stress, the worse it gets. That's the tricky part. If you are able to shut that off in your brain and get yourself to just let your kid be your kid, unless there's some medical reason to stress about it, don't. Hey, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. And this is Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding families. Because, man, kids need to eat a lot. And frequently, too. This is our third and final part in our picky eating series. Because, you know, there's just not a whole lot to talk about with picky eating. There's a lot. We'll probably get into season two of Didn't I Just Feed You and talk about picky eating. So if you haven't and you have time, you should go subscribe and download parts one and part two. And then listen to this one also. But Stacey, what's going on with you this week before we dive into our interviews? What is going on? I am knee deep in trying to finally, now that we're in the swing of things, jet lag over, summer break really, really officially over. Everyone's back in school. Now I got to finish my cookbook. (laughs) Hitting the deadline. Just a small little thing. A little thing. Yep. What about you? Because that's all I got Uh, for you this week. (laughs) That's great. Cookbook is great. We got to keep it fast because we've got a lot of great interviews to listen to. What is going on with me this week? Oh, we're getting, like, I know it's the end of September, but we're already, like, getting geared up for Halloween. My daughter's very oh, into whoa. it. So we, like, ordered Halloween costumes oh, yeah. on oh, Amazon. Planners. Oh, she's very into it, which was really funny. I'm still unclear about what her costume actually is, but we ordered, <laughs> we shopped on, <laughs> we shopped online and ordered her costume components. What? So okay. I'll have to Are share. Are you allowed to? I think so. It's like a little like dancer's leotard with a tutu, but it's black. And then a pair of like Mary Janes that are also black. But I think she's she's also thinking she's pulling stuff from her closet, like a cape that she has and some tights that she already has. But again, I'm unclear about what the actual like maybe she's super Ella. Oh, I don't know. It's so cute. We'll see when this stuff gets here. I have to Am say, I- that's like very cute. And I don't know. I, I well, I am I was about to go into gender stereotype land, which <laughs> Halloween. Yes. Rot. <laughs> where gender stereotypes Rot. go to thrive. Yes. <laughs> My boys are both, ah, are they going to listen? Uh, like not very creative and also like, the most like stereotypical boy costumes ever. Like I just wish like once I had a chance to put like butterfly wings or a tutu. I know not every girl likes butterfly wings and tutus. I know, but it's been like cars and like last year, Oliver had a shirt with a shark head coming out of it and blood splattered all over him. Okay, that was my fear because when we started looking at costumes online, she was like, I want to be a scary zombie this year. Oh, no, and I was like, I'm not, cool, 
I'm not ready for you to be a scary zombie yet. Like I know the scary Halloween costumes are going to come, but I'm not ready for that yet. But it's a black leotard and black shoes, so it could still go zombie. It could. We and that's see. actually kind of cool now that I'm hearing. <laughs> that's like all I've ever done. But yeah, very early for Halloween, but I like it. She's like on. It's what's happening in real yeah. in my real life. Yeah. My son will wait until the last minute, although he has said he's been very vocal that he wants to be a robot. Ninja robot, maybe? Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Those are the things I'm used to. Like it. Ninja robot. Ninja robot. Okay. Before we dive into our interviews with Amy and Debbie, let's talk about really quickly what we're digging this week. What we're digging. So every week, Megan and I share one new kitchen or food thing that we are loving. It can be a product, a trick, a technique, anything that's making life easier or more delicious. So Megan, what are you digging this week? How about a cookbook? Or a cookbook. If it's making your life easier, we'll listen. My colleague at the kitchen, Kelly Foster, wrote a book this summer called Bootables. Ooh, yummy. And even though I've had it and I've looked through it, I'm really cooking through it for the first time. And it is so wonderful. Um, One of the things I love about Kelly is that she is very into meal prep, like our one guest, Tracy Benjamin of Shutterbean was. And so she talks in the book about like strategies for making some of these bowls ahead and how you can like usable components to meal prep for the week. And the thing I love most about her book is there's a whole chapter on sauces, which I feel like for a lot of home cooks are like the missing component from taking something like from basic to brilliant. It's like a little sauce, like a little tahini and some lemon juice and a little water makes this most amazing sauce. So if you're looking for meal prep inspiration or bowl, like comfort food that feels healthy, Bootables cookbook is amazing. And we'll put a link to where to buy it in the show notes. Stacey, what are you digging this Love week? Love it. going to grab that. So this week, I am digging one of my very own recipes. I, I feel like I do this a lot and it's making me a little bit embarrassed now that I'm thinking back at it. It's a few weeks ago. I plugged my own cookbook, Make It Easy. This recipe is featured in there, but I won't make you buy it, even though you should. (laughs) I also posted this recipe on YouTube. It's hearts of palm dip. So here's the thing. I love hearts of palm. I heard at some point that maybe it's not the most environmentally friendly ingredient. I don't know if that's true. I feel like I should look that up again. But it is a fairly inexpensive ingredient that you can get canned. It's very fresh tasting. It's very easy to work with. You can uh, it usually comes canned in water, cut up, or you can get it in just like stalks. It almost tastes like artichoke, if you ask me. Yeah. Right? Like the, like the um, heart of artichoke. Right. And it almost has that kind of texture. You can cut it up and put it in a salad. But something that I do is whiz it up with some olive oil, garlic, and lemon juice. And it is delicious. It is light. It is airy. It's a lot like hummus, but it's a little bit more versatile and a little bit lighter and fresher tasting. And I also pack it for school lunch because in our school, you can't bring in sesame seeds. It's not just nuts. It's also sesame seeds. So I can't actually pack hummus. Which, I have been wondering about yeah. this since you posted like the first week back to school lunches and you were like, oh, I was going to do everything bagel seasoning on this avocado toast, yep. but I can't do it. And now I know the answer as to why you couldn't because of sesame seeds. Yep. No sesame seeds. So hummus, unless I just make it myself without tahini, which I do sometimes, but I actually prefer this hearts of palm dip. I love that this is like allergy friendly and so delicious. I have never actually made hearts of palm dip. So I'm going to try this recipe. I have to tell you, I make it for every single cocktail party I have. And without fail, everyone's like, what is this recipe? So there you go. Try it. I'll put the link up in the show notes. I love it. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, Mom's Best Cereal. When back to school hits, the conversation immediately turns to school lunch and dinners. But busy parents know that mornings can be just as hectic, if not more. We tend not to talk about breakfast, though, because so many kids skip their first meal of the day or reach for grab-and-go convenience meals. The catch? Most of them are packed with ingredients that undermine their focus and performance. That's why we love our newest sponsor, Mom's Best Cereal. Mom's Best makes great-tasting, kid-favorite cereals with nothing but honest-to-goodness ingredients. Fun cereals like their naturally flavored, gluten-free, crispy cocoa rice, whole grain honey grams, 
and classic sweetened wheat bowls are free of artificial flavors, preservatives, and high fructose corn syrup. Plus, their products are budget-friendly and easy to find at major grocery stores and natural food stores nationwide, so that every parent can choose a quality cereal that tastes great and is affordable. To learn more about Mom's Best, go to momsbestcereals.com. This week for our Picky Eater series, we have two fantastic guests that we are so excited to talk to. And what's really great about them is that they represent a spectrum of ages. Amy Palingin is a writer, editor, and recipe developer for magazine, books, and websites, including The Kitchen Where I Write and her wildly popular website, yummytoddlerfood.com. Amy also co-hosts her own podcast, Comfort Food, with friend and food editor Virginia Soulsmith. Amy lives outside of Des Moines, Iowa with her husband and two small girls, and she's also expecting a third. Amy, welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You? We are so happy to have you today. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Before we jump into our questions about picky eating, will you tell us how many kiddos you have and how old they are? Sure. So I have two kids and I'm pregnant with our third right now. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, Yeah, so I've got a six-year-old and then one who is two. So there's you know, a pretty good age range in there. So you have two daughters and are they good eaters? Are they picky? Tell us a little bit about how they eat at home. So I would call them enthusiastic eaters. (laughs) They love food. Um, The oldest one specifically yesterday, she told me, I love you even when you make a dinner that I don't like. I was just like, that's like (laughs) the greatest compliment you could give me. That's so cute. Yeah. But she is, uh, the oldest one particularly is very, like she has strong likes and strong dislikes and she is not afraid to share them. And she has always been that way, which is part of the reason that I started Yummy Toddler Food. The younger one, she up until recently, so she turned two in May. Up until recently, she pretty much ate whatever. She didn't have very big opinions. But lately, and I think that this is more to do with her growth pattern and like some things with her daily schedule changing. She switched from going to a friend's house to going to an actual daycare center and, and she was potty trained and we switched her bed. And so I think those things have had more of an impact on her eating than like quote unquote picky eating. She just generally is not as hungry as she was. So I try with her to not give her as much milk as she wants because she loves milk and she would gladly just drink milk for breakfast. So I try to keep her milk portions to like four ounces just to make sure that she has some space in her belly for other food. But I keep her portions small because she also has entered the delightful phase of starting to play with her food. (laughs) So yeah, less food is better for her and then she can always have seconds if she wants. I love that you describe them as enthusiastic eaters because I feel like it's kind of rare that you have a parent of multiple children say that all of their children. (laughs) There's always like, well, one is like this, but there's always one that's a picky eater. I just think that's so great. Do you feel like you fostered that or they came out of the womb that way? Are you just lucky, Amy? Like no, what's I- what's your secret? <laughs> I actually had an experience with the older one where she heard me tell someone that she was shy, which I think she was like two. And I can't really imagine describing her that way now. <laughs> but she was very <laughs> attached to me when she was little and she didn't like being with new people. She then would start telling other people that she was shy, like as a way of giving an explanation for why she didn't want to do something or why she didn't want to go with someone. And I very quickly realized that if that she was listening to the words I was using to describe her yes. and, and I didn't want, you know, I, I never wanted her to hear me criticize or use a sort of negative word to describe her eating because I knew that she would just like take it and maybe run with it. So I just tried to back off a bit and, you know, 
followed through with the second one. And I, you know, I know that there are a lot of kids who have very specific texture preferences. Um, you know, learning to eat is really hard for a lot of kids and it takes a long time. You know, kids don't learn how to chew completely a lot of the times until they're four. And so there is this like window of time where they're just learning how to manipulate food in their mouths. And when they're mixed textures, it can be really hard. So I think a lot of the time when a kid doesn't want to eat something, it's not so much that they don't like the food. It's like some other reason. They're not hungry. They had snack time too close to dinner. There's some other power dynamic going on. And so with my kids, I just try to let the food be the food and I don't put a lot of weight on whether or not they eat it. Like, I don't particularly care if they don't eat everything on the dinner table. Like, honestly and truly, I don't care. As long as they're not rude about it, which we have had discussions about that. <laughs> um, I really, you know, as long as they eat some of the food and that they're not begging for food after, I'm fine. Is your husband on the same page as you about that? Like, how do you handle refusal of foods at the table together or separately? So we have had conversations about it because obviously I am much more immersed in all of this than he is. He's an English right. professor. He doesn't, you know, like spend his time reading about how kids learn to eat and what picky eating is and all of that. So we've had conversations about it and I sort of always want to get to why they don't want to try a food. Like recently I had made some pork chops in the slow cooker and my oldest, who usually is like a meat fanatic, she just didn't, she didn't want to try it. And I know I asked her some questions about sort of the way it looked or the way it smelled. She's like really into the way things smell lately. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it turned out that she had had something similar for lunch and she just didn't want it. And, you know, that's valid. Like I might not want to eat the same thing for two meals right? in a day. Yeah. And I am not, I will just say, I am not so great about checking the menu at school and at daycare. It's kind of a lot to keep track of. Right. And they're both in different apps and it's like, so I just make dinner and then hope that it's not the same thing. <laughs> so um, when they don't want to eat a food, I try to encourage them to taste it, but I don't force them. I don't want to create a situation where I'm telling them that they need to do something because I know that that is going to set them up to push back right away. So a lot of the times we serve dinners family style where all of the components of the meal go on the table and then the kids are invited to serve themselves, which is how the daycare that they both went to and now go to does their meals. So they're familiar with that. They can choose from the foods that I have put on the table what they want to eat and they can choose what they don't want to eat. And I don't try to have positive or negative commentary. We talk about the way things taste, sort of, you know, where things came from, if it came from our garden or if it came from a farmer that we know. And beyond that, I honestly, we try to talk about other things because I think if you focus too much on the food, it can sort of trip the kids up a little bit. It gives it a lot of power too, right? Yeah. You make it about the food. I love the tip and I've seen this before on your Instagram of serving, especially vegetables, family style on the table and giving your kids like the power to decide how much of what they want. Mm -hmm. Stacey and I talk a lot about how there's also just like seasons with your children and seasons can be days. They can be weeks. Like my daughter is really into broccoli and not a lot of other green vegetables. I say right now, but it's honestly going on a year. And I just like try to encourage her to eat other green vegetables, but also make her broccoli regularly because she loves that. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, how can parents like introduce new foods one and then how do you, how can they go about introducing a food that sort of been snubbed before in a way that's stress free so first i would say that i have a daughter my oldest is obsessed with cucumbers <laughs> we had that season too yeah it's yeah. like this seems like it's been like her whole life like she legitimately since she was 2 will just like eat cucumbers how does she feel about pickles she doesn't so much like pickles. My daughter still cucumbers and pickles. And we make a quick pickle uh -huh. of cucumbers, which we call Ella's pickles. And it's like rice wine vinegar, a little garlic and onion powder, salt and pepper. And she will eat an entire cucumber that way. So funny. Yeah. Kids are just quirky with what they decide that they yes. love. Yes. Okay. So a few tips about veggies. One is that I often offer a vegetable 
before dinner, like while I'm getting things ready, my girls would be happy to eat dinner at like 4.45. So by five o'clock, you know, they're usually getting a little stir crazy and we, we eat most nights at 5.30. So it's not like they have to wait that long, but some sliced cucumber or snap peas or for the little ones, some tomatoes um, is usually a good way to get some veggies in before we get to the table which can sort of take the the stress out of actually getting them to eat veggies at the table. We do a lot of eating vegetables outside in um, when it's warmer. Mm-hmm. So we have a garden. My kids will both eat raw green beans straight out of the garden. They don't always want to eat them inside. That's fine. I find that being outside, whether it's like in a garden situation or just a picnic, can sort of diffuse the normal table dynamics as well. I think also just not taking it so personally when your child refuses something just because they don't want to eat their cauliflower tonight doesn't mean that they're never going to want to eat it again. So I would say if there's something that you really want to be a regular staple in your family's food diet, make it every once in a while, make it be something that the kids can identify and that they're familiar with, but sort of change up how you make it. Cause there may be a way that your child prefers it. it you know, it could be a texture thing. Like, Maybe your child really loves roasted broccoli. I mean, I my when my oldest was two, she went through a phase where she loved roasted broccoli. Like she doesn't want it now because she doesn't like the brown parts on it. So it's like, who knows? But just experimenting <laughs> a little bit with how you're serving something can be helpful. Offering a dip if your kiddos like dips. I didn't really believe that there were kids who liked dips because my oldest didn't, but my second one will like dip anything in anything else. Like she just loves it. <laughs> so that's a good way for some some kids to try some new things. Do you have favorite dips? Um, so we have a lot of ketchup. <laughs> ketchup. <laughs> I do mix um, mild salsa, like a pureed salsa with either plain yogurt or sour cream, like half and half. Yeah. Um, which is really, it's like super mild, it's creamy, and it goes well with almost anything. It's really good if it's, you know, a, like if you want to dip tortilla strips in it or green beans or broccoli or cauliflower or carrots, it's a good one. And then I would say try to get your kids talking about if they have refused something, try to get them to tell you why they refused it or ask, how can I make it yummier? And It might be something simple as like changing the shape of the way that you cut your carrots, you know, going for like rounds versus sticks or the other way around. You know, kids don't have the depth of memory to know what everything is going to taste like. So it is kind of a leap of faith for them to try something that they're not really familiar with how it's going to taste. So I think putting ourselves in that mindset a little bit more and helping them, giving them some words like comparing what something tastes like with something that they are more familiar with can also help make it a little bit less scary. Yes. I do that for my daughter. A lot of things are like broccoli. Oh, you will like <laughs> these roasted Brussels sprouts because they are like broccoli. They're broccoli's right. cousin. Right. Yes. Lots of comparison. Also like comparison, I feel like for some kids, connecting food to something that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my younger son, who's not so little anymore, but he's eight and he's super into science, you know, so connecting it to just cool scientific facts or my older son, who's 11 and now super into being athletic to the relationship that food has with his body. I find that I'm having to be careful. And I know that this is an older kid problem where we don't go too far into, you know, thinking about body image too much, because that's like a really scary place when you have tweens. Right. But, you know, like how do athletes eat? Like Mm -hmm. what fuels your body and helping them make those connections? Mm -hmm. But with little kids, sometimes it's as easy as like carrots can help your eyes feel stronger or you can see farther like a superhero, (laughs) you know, that kind of simple connection is as easy as making, you know, cutting out a carrot to look like a star, you know, and those kinds of little changes and connections to make food more interesting and compelling can really make kids excited about food. Yeah. Because I think that the piece we don't talk about is that kids aren't in control of food. I was just going to say that the thing, so my six-year-old like very recently has started being okay with eating her foods mixed together and with trying 
foods in a way that she's never been before. And I think the biggest thing that has shifted is that I have given up a lot of control over what she eats when she's not home. So when she's at school, I sort of started out her kindergarten year last year, assuming that I would pack all of her lunches and that they would, you know, look Instagram perfect and she would be super excited about it. Turns out she just desperately wanted to eat the school lunch. As I said, (laughs) she's an enthusiastic eater. She would see things and feel like she was missing out. And she had been used to eating hot lunches from the daycare that she had gone to. And so it was like, she really had a hard time. And honestly, I had a hard time with it because you know, the school food, like while it adheres to some federal nutrition standards, it is a little bit more like classic kid food than I would want her to be eating every day. But I realized that, you know, she is her own person and a really great way for me to help her take ownership of what she eats and what she puts into her body was to give her some of that control. So we came up with a solution where she looks at the menu on Sunday. We look at the menu together and she picks three, two to three lunches that she really wants to eat, like the ones that she wants the most. And then on the other two days, she helps me pack her lunch. And that has made such a giant difference in her, both her like just feelings about lunchtime. And then also it has really broadened what she's eating. It's just as like the diversity of what she is eating in any given week is much broader than it would be if I was making all of her food. It can be really scary to give up some of that control and have your kids eating food that other people prepare. But I have to say, I am always surprised by what my kids will eat when they're not at home. And I think that that is like long-term, that's a really good thing. I couldn't agree more. I really feel like the conversation around family food has in this country has really on one end of the spectrum on the like quote unquote, healthy end (laughs) has sort of lost its way. I feel like it's become about how do we raise these kids who eat kale? Yeah. (laughs) How do we raise these kids who, you know, we can show on Instagram munching on raw broccoli. And I like, for me, that's not the point. The point is how do we raise kids who grow up to understand moderation, who know how to feel good in their bodies? who know what works for them and, you know, what doesn't so that if they get older and they don't feel good day after day, they're like, huh, you know, it's not that we've raised them to be vegans. It's that we've raised them to know how to have a healthy diet and how to assess weight. You know, I don't feel it's been several months and I don't feel good. I wonder if it's maybe, you know, how I'm sleeping, what I'm eating, how do I assess what I'm eating? You know, it's about giving them tools to be healthy and have a healthy relationship with food. It's not about prescribing a particular quote unquote healthy diet, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I also really want my kids to be able to identify food when they are out in the world on their own, which is why I'm not like regularly sneaking vegetables in yeah. that was my that was my next question yeah. I felt like I knew what your answer would be but so you d- you never sneak veggies into your kids diets or you try not to regularly so I will put vegetables like into muffins like I make a spinach banana muffin or zucchini bread or but I tell them what it is because I have been burned by making something with a vegetable in it that you know wasn't necessarily supposed to be there and then had one of my kids be like, well, my oldest one, I'll just say, <laughs> uh, say this doesn't taste right. Or I just want real spaghetti or, you know, like you can't, once they get to a certain age, you can't really fool them if they're expecting something like my kids would never buy that. Like zucchini noodles are real noodles. Like they're not. Yeah. It's, um, so, if, you know, I want her to be able to go to school and like, look at a vegetable and be like, oh, I like that. You know, I don't want her to only be able to eat certain things like stuffed into a meatball. And and then I've had, you know, I've had situations where she'll come home and be like, I like red peppers now. And I'm like, that's great. Like I had nothing to do with that, but like, go go you. (laughs) Um, I think that really circles back to what you and Cece were just talking about, about the like level of emotional intelligence that we're trying to give our children around food and that 
when you're trying to be sneaky about what a food is, you're like undermining them. You're mm-hmm. saying like, I'm going to outsmart you. Um, that can create a negative relationship to foods that we, that they should love just because they're good for them. Yeah. And it's also letting, you know, sending the message that we don't trust them. And, yes, and totally. I think, I think it's fine to add, you know, like we make sweet potato pancakes and it's fine to use produce in foods when it serves a purpose or when it helps toddlers or babies eat something that they wouldn't be able to eat in its whole form because it's too difficult to chew. But I think that there is, you know, transparency really can go a long way uh, when the kids, you know, I would say like after two, you're really like setting your, you're taking a serious chance if you make a cookie that has like something in it and then your kid tastes it and it's like, hmm, that wasn't what I was expecting. And now I don't like this. Totally. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I understand I understand why why a lot of parents want to to sneak foods in because for most kids there is a period of time when they stop eating as willingly or as many vegetables as they had in the past and I'm always trying to remind people that that is normal like that is yes. something that should be expected it is between 2 and 6 that is a time when kids are like notoriously just not interested in eating a wide range of foods, and it's just part of normal development. And most of the time, kids work through that and they come back around and then they're more willing to try some things. Um, and then also to remember that there's nothing wrong with eating fruit. Like fruit and vegetables have very similar nutrition, even, you know, fruit has more natural sugars. But if your kid is eating a wide range of fruit and like not so many vegetables, I think it's okay. I love to hear you say that, Amy, because I don't know what your background is, but I, my background, I have a graduate degree in child development. And the whole reason I got into food, I grew up in restaurants and I wanted to go to culinary school. And my dad was like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'll go to graduate school for child development instead. (laughs) And then somehow weaseled my way back into food. And part of why I did that is because I was working in children's media. And I remember thinking, you know, it was at this time when you know, Nickelodeon and Nick Jr. were blowing up. And it was like, everybody's putting this child development lens on everything, on television, on toys, on books. Parents are really starting to tap into the parlance of child development. They're really hungry to understand and in a really basic, simple way what's going on with their children so they can make better decisions about what their kids are taking in from the world, except with food. And like, that didn't make any sense to me. And I really wanted to be part of the food world and start to think about like, how can I help parents understand the interface between child development and food? Mm -hmm. And you just really tapped into it. I mean, there is a, an evolutionary explanation for why kids get picky in those ages that you talked about. You know, my favorite story is having a pediatrician remind me that cave baby you know, starting at like two and a half and three was starting to wander away from mama's side and starting to maybe eat those berries, Mm -hmm. right? Without mama handing them, like making sure that she was picking the ones that weren't poisonous and giving them to baby. So the palate becomes more sensitive to bitter so that cave baby (laughs) could taste the bitter berries and know that they were poisonous in case mama wasn't there to say like, Hey, no, you can't eat that. That's poisonous. So it was actually a protective measure. And that's why vegetables that are more bitter than fruits, you know, all of a sudden become like, to, you know, right around two and a half, three years old. So it, it totally makes sense that this would happen. This is normal. You know, we just kind of have to ride it as parents. And I think also that the, you know, I, so I have a two-year-old right now. She's really into dressing herself. She's very strong opinions, like very suddenly about what she wears. And it just makes sense that she would be acting similarly in different areas of her life. Like, of course she has opinions about what's on her plate. If she has opinions about like which socks she's wearing. (laughs) So like from that perspective too, it just makes sense as far as like where they are with figuring out that they are able to voice their opinions and get some reactions. I have a practical question. Let's say that you are a parent 
whose kid is going through a picky eating stage and at the dinner table or outside, you're doing like a really great job of saving face and not reacting, but internally you're super stressed about it or like worried about it. And you're like getting to a certain level of frustration. What are some things that as a parent you can do to sort of like make peace with that, whether it's like practical advice about self-care or ways that you can like assess how your kid's eating and get a better picture than just what's happening at the table? Yeah, that's kind of a hard question because it would be so specific to the (laughs) circumstances. Right? Uh, I think so. I have been that parent who has had to leave the dinner table in tears for one reason or another. We are not perfect here. So I would just like to say you are not alone if that has been you at any given point. If your kiddo is going through a phase where they're really like reluctant to eat anything you're making, I would try to have uh, something on the table that they usually like, whether it's fruit or bread or cheese, and sort of don't worry if that's the only thing that they eat. Like if that's the thing that allows you to have family dinners, then it's fine. Like just sort of lower your expectations a bit about dinner time. I would also say that if dinner is the thing that's really tripping you up, maybe you focus on having breakfast together and you make dinner less of a big deal. Maybe your kiddo wants to have a bigger snack in the afternoon and then they have like a smoothie before bed. Maybe you put the kid to bed and then you have a nice relaxing dinner with your spouse if you need a break. I think taking some of the pressure off as far as what you're expecting can can really help. And also maybe find some ways to put fun back in food, like take the eating out of the equation and bake some cookies together or go pick strawberries at a farm if it's that time of year, or just like have an experience with food that is not remotely related to getting your kid to eat something that you want them to eat. I think that that can sort of reset things a little bit and at least make you feel like, okay, it's not all terrible. I do also want to say that if you are having issues where you really feel like your child is like down to like two foods, um, you know, if you keep like a journal and you're like, you know, they really won't eat anything other than a few foods or you're having major issues or their, you know, their pediatrician is concerned about growth. I would try to find a feeding therapist, someone who specializes in this. There are many wonderful resources out there. And I think that no matter what this specific issue is, having someone take a look at the situation who is not emotional about it can be really helpful. And it can give you some perspective that you might not be able to get on your own. I think that's a perfect note to end on. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. This was really fun. All right. Next up, we have Debbie Koenig, who's going to talk to us about what it's like to have a picky older kid who's been picky since the beginning, <laughs> since he was little. Well, not quite since the beginning. He was I guess you're right. once a good eater and then grew to be picky. You got but picky. But Debbie tells us about that. She does. So Debbie Koenig is an award-winning food, diet, and parenting writer and the author of the cookbook, Parents Need to Eat Too, nap-friendly recipes, one-handed meals, and time-saving kitchen tricks for new parents. She lives in Queens with her omnivorous husband and their stubbornly non-nerivorous son. Did I say that right, (laughs) Debbie? (laughs) I love that joke, Debbie. Way to call him picky without calling him picky. Debbie, I could not be more excited to have you on Didn't I Just Feed You? Because we have known each other. It feels like forever, but maybe that's because school just started in New York City and I cannot believe that our boys have started. Well, Isaac started sixth grade and I think Harry started seventh. 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 That's insane. Yeah. They're like little grownups. Aww. So, okay, let's go back. You have one son named Harry. I just introduced him before mm-hmm. I even introduced you. <laughs> <laughs> and we met when they were little. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. And now he is how old? Uh, he turned 12 last week. Wow, that's so crazy. Yeah. And he has been... Okay, so do you use the word picky? I do. I, I you know... I used to do like he has an extremely discerning palate and I used to use all these like other ways of saying it because I hated labeling him. But yeah, I've given up. He calls himself picky now. He knows. I kind of love that. I kind of you know, love- At a certain point, they're too old to like pretend that it's not pickiness. It's just the word. That's you what know, it is. 
And it's sort of funny, like this arc. I wonder if it's like a bell curve. I feel like somebody should do, like, should graph it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like at first we're like picky and we're just like, we call it what it is. Like, we're just tired and they're babies. And then, like, we get sleep and we start like reading books and we start like getting together with our mom friends. And we're like, no, like, they're just discerning. They're yeah. just selective. And, yeah. you know, and they're like toddlers and we don't want to put them in a box. And they yeah. have like the, all the potential in front of them. And then we're like, no, you know what? Like you're 12. Like you just, like you're, you're just picky. picky. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, he selective eating is an actual diagnosis and he might qualify for that, but I have never had him check out in terms okay, of wait. getting a diagnosis. Talk to us about that. Yeah. That's an actual eating disorder these days, uh, selective eating. It is eating even more extreme than what my child practices. It's when kids have so few safe foods that their health is being threatened by it, that they either are extremely underweight or they're just not thriving because they don't eat enough. And Harry does not have that problem. Harry is a sugar addict and will eat plenty of the things that he likes. It's just the things that he likes the list is frustratingly brief. Okay, so I, I there's so much I want to talk about there. The selective eating diagnosis that you talk about, is this mm-hmm. something you know about like through your research or talking to pediatricians or is this a medical diagnosis? It is a psychological an actual, diagnosis? Is, I be, I, you know what? That's a good you know? question. I'm not sure if it's medical or psychological. I, okay. It's in the same family as bulimia and anorexia, I believe. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's a relatively new thing that has been sort of added to the lexicon of eating disorders. But there's a Facebook group that I am in just sort of lurking because I don't consider Harry as bad as what I see with some of these other families. There's a whole world out there of people who are struggling with kids who really, really, really won't eat. And that is, there's a whole other kind of, you know, professional treatments for that. But we've never done anything like that for Harry because he really, he likes food and he likes to eat. It's just, he's very afraid of unfamiliar things and won't try anything to find out whether he likes it or not. He can look at something and knows he doesn't like it. So that's, that's sort of what stopped me from thinking of him as a genuinely diagnosable selective eater. I do think he has other control issues and things like that, that probably some sort of talk therapy would be helpful. But I don't know that he has a diagnosable condition. Right. So Megan and I talked in our first episode on picky eating about something that I came across in, you know, given my background in child development with kids who have sensory issues, Mm -hmm. right? And that can lend itself to picky eating. Yep. You don't think that that's what's going on with Harry? To a certain extent, I do. He definitely has textural things. Mm -hmm. Um, He also has ADHD, which goes with picky eating a lot. Or I should Ah. say picky eating goes with ADHD a lot. There's a big cross-diagnosis with that. Comorbidity, I guess is the official word. But um, it happens. You sound fancy. Uh, Yes, I have done so (laughs) much research trying to figure out how to help my kid. And ultimately, now that he is this old... I am trying to back off because he's too old for me to do anything surreptitious. He has to be a participant. And until he wants to really expand his horizons when it comes to food, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. This idea of helping, I'm just going to play devil's advocate. I mean, because, you know, listen, people who are listening probably know my work. If not, they've been listening to Megan and me chat for several episodes now. And I think. Megan, right? They know where we stand on this kind of stuff, approximately. Yes. yes. This whole idea of helping picky eaters. Like, I mean, does Harry really need help? I mean, he's 12. He's been a picky eater the whole time, it sounds like. Well, you know what? He was an amazing eater when he was little, little. This started around age two, which is very common. It's when kids start to realize that they are autonomous and they want to assert some sort of control over their lives. It's an easy thing to just say no to stuff. So, but before then, like when I wanted him to try a new food, I would put pesto on it because he loved pesto so much and he hasn't touched pesto in 10 years. But um, yeah, he went from being like one of those eaters where I was the smug mom who was like, I'm doing it right. I am raising a great (laughs) eater. And then... It all went away. And the more I tried to get him to do stuff, 
the worse it got. And I wish that I had caught on to that sooner and stopped myself from trying to get him to try things instead of just putting food out and letting him decide. You know, I never, I didn't do that when he was little. I fed him and it was a big mistake. Do you feel like at this point, the best thing that you are doing for him is to sort of step back and give him his own tools to navigate his self-proclaimed picky eating? I do. I do. Um, He loves to cook. He loves to bake. And, you know, we watch cooking shows together. We watch especially kids cooking shows like Top Chef Junior and the Kids Baking Championship. He really is interested in food. He is just not interested in eating food that is not familiar to him. So yeah, I am totally letting him take the lead when it comes to this stuff. And once a week, he cooks dinner for the family. He gets to decide what it's going to be. And the only rule is there has to be a protein and there has to be a side that has some kind of vegetable or fruit in it. So he has mastered making chicken cutlets. He makes like amazingly good chicken cutlets. We had He made them last night. Wednesday is his cooking night. He makes... I wrote about this actually for Epicurious a while ago. He he um, invented his first recipe several years ago called mustard dogs, which is basically yes, hot that. dogs, his yes. very favorite food and the thing he would eat every meal every day until he dies. He slices them up and cooks them in a skillet and then makes a little sauce out of Goulden's mustard and water. And once the hot dogs get kind of crispy, he pours the sauce over and the water evaporates and the mustard coats the dogs and he is like the happiest thing in the world. So yeah, he's he wants to assert himself when it, in the kitchen. So I figure the more I let him, the better it's going to be. I love that because it's like two practical pieces of advice for people who might be struggling with picky eaters, which is like involving your kids in the process, whether it's like they're cooking or we were talking about this earlier before we recorded that Harry packs his own lunches now Mm -hmm. too. So he has even more control. Yeah, he has since third grade. And then just the idea that they can have their own recipes. My daughter is like a pretty normal, I would say like a normal eater. She has pickiness. Some phases of pickiness last longer than others. But one of the things we found was like giving her recipes that are like Ella's pickles. So we'll like slice cucumbers and toss them with rice wine vinegar and some garlic and onion powder. And she'll eat like so many vegetables Mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah. But do you have any other practical advice? Maybe not for parents whose kids are older like Harry, but for parents who are in the trenches, because some of it sounds like, you know, there there is some real picky eating that can be diagnosed by your pediatrician and and you can get help with that. But just practical advice for the emotional tool that like periods of picky eating can have on a parent or Mm -hmm. like your personal struggles where you know, it sounds like Carrie was a great eater up to a point. And then it just became sort of like disastrous and frustrating. And I'm sure that that was like hard as a parent and especially a parent who writes about food (laughs) to deal with. So what's some other practical advice you have for parents who are dealing with picky eating right now in their real life? Well, my first piece of advice would be to get a copy of Ellen Satter's book called Child of Mine which is so smart and so full of things that I did not do and wish that I had. Biggest thing that she says is you have to respect your kid as a human being and let him or her decide what he or she wants to eat. I'm going to stop saying he or she and just say they. So the parent's job is to decide what and when in terms of the eating periods. And it's the kid's job to decide whether and how much to eat. So if you put out an array of things and you always make sure there's one thing on the table that's a safe food for your kid, everything is served family style. You don't assemble plates for the kids. You let the kids serve themselves from a very young age and then they just eat what they want. And if they serve themselves something and they taste it and don't eat it, you keep your mouth shut. That's sort of the idea is you do not comment on what your kid is eating because even a positive comment like, wow, you love those carrots. If your kid is leaning towards pickiness as mine was at that young age, that feels like pressure. You don't want to pressure them in any way because that's when they do the knee-jerk no response. That's interesting. Positive pressure being a negative. Yeah. 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 Anything can feel like pressure when you're a little kid and you want to please your parents. So even if you see that, you know, your mom's happy that you ate your carrots, 
you feel pressured to eat them the next time because you want to make your mom happy. And maybe you're just not in the mood for carrots. And it becomes this whole sort of like yeah. internal struggle for yeah. so you learn, you learn to Yeah, you listen yes. to your brain rather than your body telling you that it needs this. Yeah. You know, it, it sort of flicks a switch. So like for Harry, he very rarely senses actual hunger. We can tell that he's hungry because his mood changes and he becomes like a cranky little animal. But he will almost never actually say, I'm hungry. A lot of the time he'll say, I'm hungry after he's eaten and he wants some kind of munchy, snacky thing. And that is very clearly about boredom rather than hunger. But yeah, when, <clears throat> I only he, when he's legit. Yeah, no, that's what it is. We are in a season of that with, yeah. the, with my two kids, like where after every meal, they're like, I'm hungry. And I'm like, no, you're just yeah, bored. You're not hungry. Snacky. Yeah. Have a glass of water, read a book, and you'll yes. be fine. Yeah. I always, I'm like, if you're really that hungry, you can eat a carrot. Like that's mm-hmm. all that I'm going to offer. But it kind of, that kind of circles back to what you were saying about how you felt like you just, you're the mistake you made, if anything, with Harry, not that we want to like belabor, say it's mistakes or anything, but yeah, that you just fed him instead of like letting yeah. him tell you when he was hungry mm-hmm. and giving him choices at the dinner table. Yeah. Yeah. When, when he was little in his early eating period from I don't know, age, probably from about age one year to two year, right at that formative, really important part. My husband had a job where he worked really late and I wanted to eat dinner with my husband. So I fed Harry beforehand so that he could go to bed. And I would take the food that I had made for us the night before. And when he was on purees, I pureed it. And when he, you know, once he was on solid foods, I would feed him, you know, make a plate for him of whatever we had had the night before. And he went from, you know, being happy to eat what I gave him. As he got older, it was really, he didn't have any example of us eating it. He never saw us eating a meal. We had breakfast together. And I thought having one meal a day as a family would cover us as far as, you know, having the family meal. I have I had read that, that it didn't necessarily matter what meal it was, as long as your family's eating together. And that isn't so much about picky eating as it is about all the great emotional bonds that are created by eating as a family. So we were getting that, but he wasn't ever seeing us eating, you know, salads for dinner and, you know, a variety of vegetables on one plate and things with sauces on them. You know, he's very afraid of sauce. He will not eat anything sauced. He's, he doesn't mix his foods. And he never saw us in that first, like, two years of his life. He never saw us eating that way. And by the time I figured out that that was what was going on, we had established a really bad pattern and we haven't gotten out of it in all this time. And I take, you know, as much as I I never want moms to blame themselves for stuff. And I know intellectually, this is not my fault. I beat myself up about this regularly that I created this little monster who will not eat. And Yeah, no, I do think I kind of did, but I also know that it's his personality and my personality and the way they're combining that is sort of making this little power struggle. And I can't seem to get myself to just back off. And if I could just zip it and leave him be, he'd probably be fine in a year. But it also sounds like there are some outside factors like the ADHD diagnosis as well. And I think we all as moms do that, like whether it's with food or something else, some other bad habits that Mm -hmm. our kids might have, we all feel responsible. So I think that that's like a very normal feeling, but it's also sort of refreshing to hear you say that because one of the things that Stacey and I talk about is that some like we are in this weird time and culture around family food and picky eating. There's a, sometimes a lot of conflicting advice, and Stacy really has a strong stance from her um, child development background that there is like a window of time that you have where you need to be addressing selective eating or not addressing it. Maybe it is pulling back in some instances. Because you do get to a point where they hit eight to ten years old, and so much of that habit, so much of that cadence around food is is like pretty much set for them mm-hmm. until they decide to change it later, yep. probably when they're out of the house. Yeah, that's that's sort of where I am at this point. I had a lot of what I read said that kids naturally picky, kids who are picky in those early years often sort of naturally ease back from it at around age eight. So I spent those six years just kind of clinging on for dear life, waiting for him to turn eight. 
and thinking that suddenly things were going to be different and and they were not and if anything it got worse after that he became even more you know the more independent he is the more able he is to decide things for himself and actually execute what he wants the less open he is to having me have any kind of influence you know it's a very typical tween thing at this point this whole like you know i can do this leave me alone so that's sort of where i am at this point is leaving him alone as much as i can yeah it's so much about well not about the food and about the control okay so debbie i totally appreciate that you don't want to beat yourself up and we don't want any parent to do that at the same time part of what we want from didn't I just feed you is to be real, to be a little bit messy. I mean, there's such a culture around parenting and food, especially of everything looking perfect and feeling perfect. And we're just trying to get away from that, be a little bit more inclusive, you know, and just be real with each other about what it's like. And I think part of that is just kind of being able to laugh at ourselves a little bit. Yeah. And I think even going back to your early work, your book, which I'm such a huge fan of, you know, I think that's part of what I think you were trying to do. I don't know. I mean, do you feel that way? Is that what it was? What oh, it absolutely. Was for you? Yeah, no, that was totally. I mean, that was a lot of it was born out of that idea of, you know, I had all these problems when Harry was born, getting dinner on the table for myself. Like my husband and I didn't eat anything more complicated than like peanut butter and jelly for God knows how long. And (laughs) once I got it all figured out, I realized that if I, as a recipe developer and person who lives in the kitchen, can't figure out how to feed myself, then what do people who don't have this professional background do? And that was sort of where this all came from. So yeah, the book was totally, each chapter was inspired by one kind of struggle that I had. So there was one about you don't make enough breast milk. Here's a chapter of recipes that will boost your supply. And there was another one that your baby won't let you ever put him down without crying. Here's a bunch of recipes that you can eat with one hand and you don't have time to make a real meal. Here are recipes you can break up to do over the course of your baby's three or four naps in a day because newborns do that. So yeah, that was totally what the book was about was these are the ways that I had challenges and I figured out solutions to them and they're not perfect, but you can probably expect to have some challenges and maybe this will help you. I mean, it's genius. I First of all, we didn't even mention the book, the name <laughs> of the book. It's called Parents Need to Eat Too. Mm. And I love it. I consider it a classic. I mean, I think it's the kind of book that as soon as you find out someone in your family is pregnant, a friend is pregnant, it's the kind of book that you run out, you buy. It's part of their shower gift. I just think it's great. I mean, Thank it's you. still something that I keep on my shelf. It's so well-researched. It's so thorough. The recipes are great. It's smart, just like you. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm that was the other thing. Out there. It was really important to me to make sure that these recipes were going to work for other people and not just me. So I actually had a whole... I think I had over a hundred moms testing the recipes for me. And each recipe actually includes some commentary from these moms saying what worked for them or, you know, why they liked it or what, you know, what they did differently. And I know the recipes work because I worked really hard to make sure they do. You know, I didn't want some new mom who is struggling to feed herself to turn to a book, you know, a recipe in the book and then have it not succeed. I can't imagine anything more crushing than yeah. when you're so emotional and so overwrought with trying to feed a newborn to finally go into the kitchen and make something and have it not turn out. I would just sob endlessly. So I, I did everything I could to make sure that wouldn't happen. You know, and we had a conversation that I just want to reference really quickly about how you feel like the book wasn't like a top bestseller. And, you know, do you want to talk about why really quick? Because I think it's really interesting. I do too. I have a theory and I don't know whether I'm right or not, but I think that we all talk about how we know that social media makes us feel inadequate. We know that Instagram influencers are not real in terms of the lives that they are showing us that not real life, what we're seeing. We know it. And yet when the time comes to bring a book into our homes or, you know, an item or something, instead of choosing the thing that says, yeah, life is hard and I have some ways that can make it a little easier for you, 
we choose the thing that says, I'm going to solve your problems. It's going to be easy and you can do it because I did it. And I find that really fascinating that we fall for it every time. And I fall for it. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this is something that other people do. I'm saying this is something I do as well. If you look at on my bookshelf, my cookbook shelf, probably 60% of my sort of family oriented cookbooks are the pretty ones. And mine's not pretty. It doesn't have any pictures in it. It's very much intended to be sort of a workbooky kind of practical tool. And people want that to a certain extent. It definitely at this point has a cult following. I know I still get emails from people who say every mom I know, as soon as I hear someone's pregnant, this is what I give them. And I know that it has that reputation, but it's not a big deal family cookbook. Well, it's so interesting. I think this is why we wanted to have you on our picky eating episode (laughs) because you bring that really smart, thoughtful perspective. And also because Harry is 12, you've been coping with picky eating for a long time. You get it as someone who's in the industry, as someone who gets the industry, is also a fan of the industry. Like Mm. you said, like you look at your own cookbook shelf, like you get it and you're honest about that. You know, you're a mom. And also you've been in the trenches, but now you're kind of a little bit on the outside of it with this older kid. And looking back, you know, you're kind of starting to let go. He's 12. He's still picky. He's doing his own thing. And now you get to reflect. And as a final question, does it matter? Like all those years of picky eating, like those parents who have picky three-year-olds, picky four, five, six, seven-year-olds, who are so stressed out. You've given them some tips. Your book has even more. All the freelance work you do, like such great, useful tips. But really, should they be stressing? (laughs) Does it really matter? (laughs) No, no, that's the point. The more you stress, the worse it gets. That's the tricky part. If you are able to shut that off in your brain and get yourself to just let your kid be your kid, not worry about what they're eating unless their doctor says you need to think about this because nutritionally something's happening in his body or, you know, your, your kid's fallen off the growth charts or unless there's some medical reason to stress about it, don't. It will either fix itself in time or it won't, but it's not necessarily going to be because of anything you did. So why torture yourself while it's happening? Let it go people. Oh my God. It's the hardest thing. It's so hard. But yeah, that's what it comes down to. I want a shirt that says the more you stress, the less you get. Yeah. I think we, that's like the new anthem. (laughs) And there you go. I feel like I'd mic drop except the microphone that I have for podcasting is way too big and would break my floor. (laughs) (laughs) Debbie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I love chatting with Debbie. She's so smart and level-headed. And just the idea of like, let's just, let's just leave the kids alone. Isn't there like, isn't there like a rock and roll song or a punk rock song from the 70s? I feel like there is. Pink Floyd? Am I thinking of Pink Floyd? Anyway. I also want to point out, and I think this will be obvious to listeners, that Amy's perspective on picky eating is much different from Debbie's. And that's because they're in different times of of raising their children, but also because they're having different experiences with their children. Although I feel like there's some um, crossover in what they said about like a lot of feeding our kids is not about the food. It's about everything else. And that we have to give our kids a lot more food freedom than we might be totally doing. So before we wrap up, every week, one of us shares a super quick practical takeaway. Because after all this kind of, is it philosophizing? I don't know that we can quite call it that. But we like to just leave you guys with something practical. Yes. Right? So Megan, what's our try this at home this week? So this week's Try This at Home is to serve family meals family style. It's a lot easier than you think. So instead of making plates for your children, bring all the food to the table at once with serving spoons and let them serve themselves. 
We've been trying this at home for about six months, and I'm so surprised by how many more vegetables my kids eat this way. I do ask my children to put one bite of everything that's served on their plate, even if they're not going to try it. But more often than not, they do. And remember, I think Debbie spoke about this, that you should always have at least one food on the table that you know your kids are going to love so that they do at least practice eating at the table with you. I'm also remembering that last week's Try This at Home was about meal planning, and I promise yeah, you I was going to say, I was going to, I was going to wait till yeah. you did this Try This at Home. I think that we've done so much chatting today. I was going to ask you on the show notes if you would follow up on that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's send everyone to Didn't yeah. I Just Because I actually com. owe you a follow-up too from a couple weeks ago from meal planning. From meal planning. Ah, you remember. Okay. Yay. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. Go to the show notes for this episode at didn't I just feed you.com. And you can find our follow-ups to several try this at homes that we've challenged each other to try. And there you can also email us at hello. Didn't I just feed you.com. If you have questions or comments about the show, you can check out our Instagram at didn't I just feed you.com. We have a Facebook page and a private Facebook group for didn't I just feed you listeners. But most importantly, if you enjoyed listening to us, please tell your friends about Didn't I Just Feed You. Leave us a review on iTunes. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thank you for for doing that. Thank you, listeners. (laughs) We love you. And we appreciate you very much. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jan Endo. A huge thank you to our editor, Jeremy Enns, and the team at Counterweight Creative. This is Stacy, And this is Megan. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. <laughs>